It is my pleasure to speak for the next three weeks while Pastor Nathan is on vacation. I'm also humbly honored to be Pastor Emeritus of this wonderful church. Last summer when I preached, it was in the middle of the COVID-19 lockdown. I gained weight during that lockdown, as many of you did. I saw my doctor recently, and he said, don't eat, any, eat anything fatty. And I said, like bacon and hamburgers? And he said, no fatty, don't eat anything. <laughs> well, that's not what my doctor actually said, but I could tell that's what he was thinking. During the lockdown, I preached to an empty auditorium while my sermons were broadcast on the church website. Janet Ryerson, our fantastic children's director, and Amy Fair, our equally fantastic church secretary, both felt sorry for me because they knew how much I enjoy preaching to a live audience, and so they made paper cutouts of people's heads and put them on the auditorium chairs. I want you to look carefully, please. <laughs> at some of the faces that you see there. I have never preached to myself before, so it was a very awkward Sunday. When Pastor Nathan asked me to preach again for him this summer, I asked my wife Kathy what she thought I ought to preach on. Her favorite book in the Bible is Philippians, and her favorite chapter is chapter 4. She suggested I preach on that. I've learned after 50 years of marriage to listen to her when she makes a suggestion. Here we are in our wedding day in 1971. Obviously, I married up. <laughs> Have you seen anyone more beautiful, virtuous, and awe-inspiring? And Kathy doesn't look so bad either. <laughs> Here's a recent photograph of us in 2021. The years have not been kind. <laughs> Kathy has played a major influence in what I have preached since we started this church in 1979. And so once again, I submitted to her a suggestion to preach from Philippians chapter 4 for the next three Sundays. And please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Follow along as I read verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always, I again I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men, the Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. My series title is Three Keys to Personal Peace. And as I begin my series on personal peace, let me make one thing perfectly clear. You can never experience peace apart from receiving Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You can read Philippians chapter 4 every day for the rest of your life, but if you haven't received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you'll never experience peace. Jesus said this in John 14, 27. He said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Isn't that a great verse? 
peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. The peace that Jesus gives becomes available to you when you receive him as your personal Lord and Savior. In fact, that is why when the Apostle John began his gospel, he didn't begin in Bethlehem like Matthew and Luke, but he began with an altar call in chapter 1. Imagine this, beginning the gospel of John without ever saying much about the story of Jesus and the story of of the gospel, beginning his gospel with an altar call. And this is what he said in verse 12 of chapter 1. But as many as received Jesus Christ, to them he gave the right to become children of God, namely to those who believe in his name. John wanted those who began to read his gospel to surrender their life to Jesus right at the very beginning. In fact, in the last book of the Bible, Jesus told how. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. And so before I pursue my first message any further this morning, I want to make the same appeal John made 2,000 years ago. I want you to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. I'd like to ask each of you to bow your heads with me and close your eyes. With every head bowed and every eye closed. If you believe that Jesus is God the Son, who came to earth 2,000 years ago in a perfect human body, a sinless body, for one reason and one reason alone, to die on the cross and shed his blood as a penalty for all our sins. That he was buried in the ground, that three days later he miraculously arose from the grave and then ascended to heaven and sat down at the right hand of God the Father. If you believe that, then you can put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ this morning. Why don't you agree in your heart with this prayer, Lord Jesus, I believe in what Pastor Brian just said. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and that you're alive today. Come into my heart, be my personal Lord and Savior. Thank you for coming in. And if you surrender your heart to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your life has just begun. In fact, once you surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, Notice this promise in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. Paul said, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The word rule is a translation of a Greek word found only here in the New Testament. Only this verse is where that word is found. And when a Greek word occurs only once in the New Testament, we need to sit up and pay attention because that word literally means to sit as an umpire. To sit as an umpire. Imagine a baseball game without an umpire to call strikes and balls and outs. It would quickly result in chaos, complete chaos. Well, when you allow Jesus Christ to be the umpire in your life, you'll experience not chaos, but peace. You may be experiencing chaos right now. Jesus says you could experience peace. And that is what my three-part series is all about. 
how to allow Jesus to be the umpire in your life and give you peace. Today, key number one, pray about everything. Next Sunday, key number two, change the way you think. Two weeks, key number three, learn to be content. There are two observations in Philippians chapter 4, which, uh, in fact, lay the foundation for my entire series on personal peace. My first observation is found in four important words in verses 4 through 7. Glance through those verses right now in your Bibles, and I want you to notice these four words, always, all, nothing, and everything. If you don't mind marking in your Bibles, take your pen or pencil and circle every time always, all, nothing, and everything occur in those verses. Because you rarely hear words like these in college philosophy classes or political conventions or even city council meetings. I mean, children and teenagers use those words. I'm always hungry. I never get to go anywhere. (laughs) But those are words God uses too. And that is why we must believe what he said here and not be confused. But the problem is we have limitations. Our mind can only think so many things. We think of terms of bottoms and tops, of beginning and end, of start and finish. We think in terms of tall and short. But there are no limitations with God. When you see words in the Bible like always, all, nothing, and everything, you can take those words to the bank and not lose one day of interest. Those words tell us that no matter what we experience in life, no matter what we experience in life, we can have peace. We can have peace. My second observation in Philippians chapter 4 is how peace will be experienced in your life, how peace will be experienced in your life. Notice again verse 4 in your Bibles. Look what it says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Here, joy is translated rejoice. Joy is the internal evidence of peace. Joy is internal evidence of peace. Now, nothing is said here about what the Christians in Philippi were going through. But they were like us. They were going through all kinds of heartache and trials. The loss of a loved one maybe the downsides in their jobs, maybe their own personal poor health, the rebellion of their children. We don't know what they're going through. But it doesn't matter, because regardless of their present situation and regardless of your present situation, their lives were to be filled with joy. Joy is the internal quality that remains constant regardless of outward circumstances. Joy is an internal quality that remains constant, regardless of outward circumstances. When I was growing up, my family had one of those gas ovens that had a pilot light that was always on. How many of you are old enough to remember ovens like that? A bunch of old people here, I can tell. (laughs) Ancient people. Well, so on cold mornings, since it would take time for our wall furnace to warm up, my brothers and I would run into the kitchen, pull down the oven door, and stand in front of the oven because the pilot light had always been on. And so the warmth that that pilot light always created would warm us up until the wall furnace would heat up. The pilot light was always on in that oven, even when the burners on top were cold. And that is what joy is. 
It's an internal quality. And it's the evidence of peace. And that's why, for example, James could say in his New Testament letter, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Are you familiar with that verse? Have you heard that verse before? Are you unhappy that it's there in the Bible? I am. Please, God, remove it right now. Thank you. I don't know about you, but the first time I heard that verse, I, I just didn't believe it. I understood it. I didn't believe it. But back then, 59 years ago, when I was a new Christian, many things in the Bible didn't make sense to me. I somehow connected joy with happiness, and I knew that trials did not bring happiness. Well, when I began to grow in my faith and to experience God's pilot light continuing to burn in my heart in the midst of trials, I eventually realized what James meant. And so Paul tells these Christians, no matter what they were going through, to rejoice in the Lord always. And then he repeats himself. That's a Jewish idiom that just means, I really mean this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Paul didn't say rejoice in their trials. He says rejoice where? In the Lord. That means that God has a plan for our lives, and that plan includes heartache and trials. It's through those heartache and trials, the reality of God is seen in our lives. Well, in addition to internal evidence of peace, notice also in verse 5 of this text, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. If joy is the internal evidence of peace, then gentleness is the external evidence. Gentle means long-suffering, enduring, merciful. And notice how we are to be gentle with. We're not to be gentle with just Christians. We are to be gentle with, you see the text? We are to be gentle with all men. The word men means everyone, everyone we come in contact with, including our family. Often the most difficult people to be gentle with, particularly in the middle of trials, are members of our own family. Be honest. Don't raise your hand. How many of you argued on the way to church today? Ah, don't raise your hand. I see looking at each other right now. And, you know, after you got to the parking lot, you opened the door and screwed on your spiritual halo smiles, and you just walked out and said, Jesus, thank you. Our family is perfect. And uh, you made your way in. One of the secrets of my marriage to Kathy is that for the 36 years I was your pastor, listen to this, for the 36 years of your pastor, you're not going to believe this, we never drove to church together. <laughs> I always had to come early, and I always had to stay late. For 36 years, not once, did we drive to church together. Our son was five, and our daughter was three when we started this church. My wife had to dress them, bathe them, feed them, drag them into the car, drive them over to the church, find them afterward, drag them back into the car, drive them home, scream and yell, spank and plead and threaten. I'd come home all full of Jesus. <laughs> so if you, if you want to have a happy marriage, don't go to church together. 
gentleness is really what makes Christians so different. When people see Christians endure trials gently, they witness something that's uh, quite extraordinary, different than how they deal with trials. They see personal peace, and it literally becomes an aroma that draws them to Jesus. You can, they will want to know, what, what makes you so different than me? I want to know what that is. In fact, look at the secret Paul gives behind internal and external peace. At the end of verse 5, notice what it says. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Now some believe the phrase the Lord is near refers to the rapture of the church. If you're not familiar with what the rapture is, my three-part series last summer, titled Let Not Your Heart Be Troubled, is about the rapture. So go to GCC website this week under sermons and open up Let Not Your Heart Be Troubled. I'll tell you everything you need to know about the rapture of the church. The imminent rapture of Christians has been the motivation for Christians enduring trials for 2,000 years. No question about it. But more probably here in this text, Paul was saying that Jesus was nearby when you go through trials. In other words, Jesus was only a prayer away. And that transitions right perfectly to verses 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Here in these two verses, Paul gives the first key on how Christians can experience the internal and external qualities of peace. It is prayer. The Bible teaches a great deal about prayer, and my purpose this morning is not to tell everything the Bible says about prayer. That would be two years' worth of sermons and probably longer than that. But what I do want to emphasize this morning about prayer is this. It should be done. You should pray. Notice what we are to pray about in verse 6. Look at verse 6. Everything. Maybe you already circled it, so you already saw it. We're to pray everything. Bring everything in prayer. Everything. Nothing is too insignificant to pray about. With God, nothing is too big and nothing is too small. With God, small things are just as important as big things. Why? Because God is omnipotent. And with God's omnipotent, nothing is too heavy and nothing is too light. He's not Atlas up in, up in the sky with muscles. Nothing weighs anything to him. He, can, he carries everything, has equal weight. So big things weigh just as much as small things, and small things weigh just as much as big things, because with God, nothing is too big and nothing is too small. Small things are just as important to God as big things. We can't, don't think that way. We keep thinking that God's waiting for the big prayer, the whopping problem. Well, he's there for that. But he's there for all prayers. And I've learned over the years to pray about everything, big and small. One week ago, my son-in-law, Matt, my grandson, David, took me to the, a Dodger game for my birthday. None of us took note of where we parked. <laughs> now, Dodger Stadium, the parking lot 
on the left field side is sort of flat. So generally, wherever you park over there, it's pretty easy to remember where your car is. Well, we came in the other way on the first spade side, and there's actually three physical levels of parking with stairs and ramps. And that's where we parked, but we didn't pay attention to that. We entered Dodger Stadium in one entrance, and then when we left, when the game was over, we exited another exit. We were totally lost. We had no clue. There were thousands of cars there. It was pitch black, thousands of cars. We didn't know whether to go left or right. Matt and I thought we should go one direction. David, my grandson, said, no, we need to go another direction. And without Matt and David knowing it, I began to pray. <laughs> Lord, I can't spend the whole night here. Because that's what I actually, actually thought. I thought we were going to have to stand there until the parking lot emptied <laughs> before we'd find our car. That's how lost we were. Maybe you've, been, maybe you've have done that at Dodger Stadium before. It's a pretty frightening thing. So I said, Lord, Lord, if you can hold the universe together, if nothing's too big or too small, I was thinking about this message, I mean, it's fresh on my mind here. Lord, I need to go to bed tonight. I need my sleep. If I go to bed too late, the whole universe will implode. <laughs> and just after I prayed that prayer, David found our car. He knew where it was. Matt and I didn't know. He said, it's over here. We said, what do you know? You're just a kid. It's over here. Well, he knew where it was, and he found it. And I said, Lord, thank you. Thank you very much, dear God. I'm never going to a Dodger game again. But thank you, thank you very much. <laughs> Notice in verse 6 how we are to pray. He says in verse 6, with supplication. Supplication. That's one of those words that I have read a long time. And I remember early on not knowing what it meant. Maybe you don't know what it means. I mean, it's a very spiritual term. We say it all the time, but we don't really know what it means with supplication. Here, I can help you. It means to beg. I don't know why they didn't put beg in here, because that's what it means. To beg. In other words, prayers are not to be rote, meaningless words. My early memories as a child was kneeling by my bed at night with my twin brother as our mother led us in this prayer. You might be familiar with it. Now I lay me down to sleep. How does it go? I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I were to die before I wake, I pray the Lord my If I were to die before I wake, I'm kneeling by this bed with my brother, and my mom says, now, Lord, if they die, I kind of thought she was hoping for it, because, you know, <laughs> twin boys after two older brothers, we were the girl they were looking for. Didn't happen. We were the boys from hell, and I mean that biblically. I think she was praying that, Lord, please take them to heaven tonight. I know. I don't know who wrote that prayer, but it's not in the Bible. Keep looking. It's not there. I've made hundreds of hospital visits in 40 years, in fact, over 40 years of pastoral ministry, and I've never prayed, Lord, if he dies, I pray his soul to take. <laughs> I've never prayed that. Some did die, but I didn't pray that. That's not what they needed to hear. 
I remember begging God for 13 years that he would provide us with our own church building. For the first 13 years of Grace Community Church, we rented a Seventh-day Adventist church on Sunday mornings, moving our stuff in and out in pickup trucks. Grace Community Church's office was in my home for 13 years. My son was 18 and my daughter was 16 when we moved out, moved my office out of our home and into what is now the Family Life Center, which is just across from the courtyard. For 13 years, I said, God, we could do so much more if we had our own building. We could do so many more ministries. I begged for 13 years. And I remember, Kathy, we would take walks at night all 13 years, and each year she'd say, do you think it's going to be next year we'll be able to buy a building somewhere? And she goes, I, I was convinced it was. Just, yeah, I think it's going to be next year. I mean, I really believe that. For 13 years, I said that. And God answered that prayer. God wants us to be passionate when we pray. Not meaningless words. Have you ever sat down at the dinner table to, and pray before your food? And then, this happens to Kathy and me, she gets up to go get something after we pray, and she comes back and says, okay, are we going to pray now? We just prayed. Oh, okay, I guess I wasn't paying attention. But I've done that. I've prayed for the food, and then she goes something, and she comes back and goes, well, I guess we better pray now. God's up in heaven going, oh, oh, what's going on? No, he doesn't want rote, meaningless, repetitious words. He wants us to beg for things. What are you passionate about? What do you think about all the time? God wants you to pray about that. Do you want your children to be saved? Beg God for their salvation. Do you want your marriage to work? Beg God to work in your marriage. Do you need a job? Beg God for a job and don't quit begging. Have you got health problems? Beg God. Don't stop praying. Keep begging. God wants us to beg when we pray. He wants us to be passionate about what we pray about. Not rote, meaningless words that occupy time and space but have no real bearing. Additionally, in verse 6, I want you to notice that we are also to pray with thanksgiving. You see that with thanksgiving? In fact, 10 years before Paul wrote to the Christians in Philippi, he wrote to the Christians in Thessalonica. And in that letter, Paul said to the Thessalonians in chapter 5, verse 13, Give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks for everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. As we learned this past year with COVID-19, the smallest of germs can make you extremely sick and even kill you. But we also learned that a simple vaccine can protect you. Being thankful may be just one word but it packs a big punch. When you face any type of trial, big or small, the first words out of your mouth to God should be, Lord, I thank you for this. Help me to honor you in it. But more often than not, it's difficult to be thankful in a trial. I've tried. It doesn't work. 
I've tried to say, Lord, I'm thankful for what I'm going through. I am thankful for this. I'm thankful for this. Yes, I'm thankful for this. Uh, I still have it. Mm, what's going on here? Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't be thankful for the trial, but I honestly think that it really means just be thankful. And many, many times when I've been going through a trial, I begin to start thanking God for all the things he's done in my life. Going back many, many years, all the way up to the present, Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for that. Oftentimes I'll wake up in the middle of the night. Well, not oftentimes, every night. I wake up in the middle of the night and something will be heavy on my heart and I'll just start thanking God for what he's done in my life. Just start listing things that he has done, proving himself over and over and over and over again. And I've discovered by doing that and doing that, that particular thing that's weighing heavy on me begins to diminish in size. We need to be thankful. And there's so much to be thankful for that it makes the trials we go through not so great. In fact, in that same letter to the Thessalonians, Paul told Christians uh, how often they should pray. Do any of you remember that? 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, we are to pray without... Wow, what a bunch of godly people here. Do you read your Bible every day? You must be. You're really theologians. Pray without what? Ceasing. Whoa. Some of you may remember the TV commercial for Boyardee Spaghetti, which had a chef exclaim, Boy, that's a lot of what? Come on, I'm not that old. That's a lot of meatball. Boy, that's a lot of meatball. Well, praying without ceasing is a lot of praying. And that's what God wants us to do. You won't disturb him. You won't waste his time when you pray without ceasing. He wants you to pray continuously during the day and sometimes continuously during the night. In fact, if you don't pray often enough, God will bring trials into your life to force you to pray. Wow. Why? Because God wants you to have a cell phone relationship with him. If I'd have said this ten years ago, we wouldn't have known what I meant. If I'd have said it five years ago, the older people wouldn't have known what I meant. Now, you can't go anywhere. Restaurant, airport, walking around the block, where no matter what the age, the people are always on their cell phone. Driving down the freeway, people on their cell phone. There's never a moment goes by where people aren't on their cell phone if they're not talking to someone else in their presence. Continuously. In fact, I, some of you have your cell phones up now. Put those down. God wants that kind of relationship with him. You're always talking to him. You're always talking to him. Always talking to him. Driving down the road, you see a homeless person. I do, Lord, please help that person. I don't know what to do. I don't know how they're going to be helped, but I pray for that person. You come across a situ another situation and you read about it in the newspaper. Oh, Lord, I pray for that person that I just read about. Continuously talking to God. I drive down the road, I see a beautiful woman. I say, Lord, turn my eyes the other way. Thank you, Lord. She's not that pretty. And move on. <laughs> I mean, pray about everything. Nothing's too small, nothing's too great. As I again read verses 6 and 7, notice how wonderful this first key to personal peace is. Look at it. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known to God the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus the word guard here in this verse is a military term referring to a soldier guarding a fort 
Most bowling alleys today would have what are called gutter bumpers. Do you know what a gutter bumper is? A gutter bumper is for children. Some of you may use them now. They're for children to prevent their bowling balls from rolling into the gutters, keep the bowling balls in the lanes. Well, God has a gutter bumper for all Christians. That gutter bumper is provided by God to keep us out of the gutter of anxiety. And that gutter bumper is prayer. What happens when you pray about everything? Does it mean that all your problems will disappear? Does it mean that all your prayers will be answered the way you asked? No. Remember this, God's delay is not his denial. So keep praying. God answers your prayers according to his already divinely will for your perfect life that God wants to develop in you. Remember, I prayed for 13 years for our own church facility. For 13 years, I begged God. God answered that prayer in December of 1992. And now look what God has blessed us with in 2021. His timing is not our timing. His answer is always better than we ask. And God never makes a mistake. God has a plan for you. Because God has a plan for you, when you pray, he will guard your heart and your mind and keep you in your lane and give you peace. How often do you pray? And what do you pray about? Imagine the difference it would make in your life, in your marriage, in your family. Imagine the difference it would make in your work or in school if you prayed about everything without ceasing. It's only then that you'll truly experience personal peace. Maybe today you're feeling anxious, worried, or afraid. Apostle Peter said this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, Cast all your anxiety upon him, for he cares for you. God cares for you. It's hard to imagine that he does, isn't it? For all the people in the world, billions and billions of people, that God cares for you. He does. Just as nothing is too big or too small of God, the world is not too populated for him to care just about one person, you. In fact, the word cast in Greek literally translated is to throw. To throw. So instead of being anxious, throw your problems to God in prayer. The first key to personal peace, my first message in this three-part series, pray about everything. So let's pray right now, shall we? Our Father, we thank you for this time that we have to begin our journey through Philippians chapter 4 and to discover the first key to personal peace, and that is to pray about everything. Lord, I don't know what the prayer habits are of those in the auditorium today. I pray that they'll begin to pray more often that they'll have a cell phone relationship with you, that they'll be praying about all things, all time, that the conversation will continue without interruption. 
and that your Holy Spirit would then continue to work in their heart and give them a peace that nothing in this world provides. And I pray that as we practice these principles that we've learned about prayer here in Philippians chapter 4, that not only will our lives change, but our relationships with our family and with our friends, even with strangers we meet on the way, will change as well. So, Father, we thank you for our time together today. In Jesus' name, amen.